Praise the Lord, saints. I may be blessed today. Amen. You know that, what's the theme? What's the theme? When your, when your boss gets on your nerves, it's what? When your children get on your nerves, it's what? Amen. That's the word that you just got to hold in your heart. Whatever problem you're going through, just know it's already done. God's already worked it out. Amen. Amen. So without any further ado, we're going to bring up Pastor uh, Roger Ward. Amen. Amen. Young people, I want you to stay tuned in. Amen. Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, come on now. Good afternoon, everyone. Y'all did not get a boring sermon this morning. Y'all didn't have to figure out how to work it out. It's already done. Praise God. Praise God. Now, this afternoon, we're not preaching. So we're just going to share, and I'll, I'll share with you. Um, I'll be teaching this afternoon like I didn't teach this morning, right? <laughs> I'll be teaching this afternoon, and uh, we are going to uh, ask God to bless us. Now, let me make sure I can get this up and running. All right, um, this afternoon was uh, geared to be an area-wide training. And so, but um, as I look out, it seems this is just folks from top. Anyone here from another church within the area? Yes, what church you with? Lighthouse. And you're here officially from Lighthouse, or are you just hanging out with your friends? All right, good. Well, good. You're going to go back empowered. And uh, we praise God that you are here. Um, we are this afternoon. What has happened? What? How this all came about was I was uh, at workers' meeting, and your pastor was there, and the other pastors from the area were there. And I made a presentation, and the presentation is kind of what I'm going to share with you. But it's all part of helping to change the culture of churches, and they felt that this would be ideal. It was also an opportunity to help our youth leaders get some training to go back and encourage their, their uh, churches and their young leaders to do something and to plan and prepare so that being without a youth director here in Central States would not hamper the movement of youth ministry. Now, a couple of things I need to share up front. One, um, Youth ministry is not something that you just open up the book and you go down the list and say, okay, I checked this off, I got that. I checked that off, I got that. I checked that off, I got that. Youth ministry is a very ambiguous, cloud-based kind of thing. And a lot of the young adults know about putting stuff in the cloud. Uh, cloud-based kind of, it fits your church, it doesn't fit the next church. So what works at top is not going to work at Northside. It's not going to work at Agape. It's not going to, it sounds good. It sounds easy. It sounds like it will work. Even at Lighthouse, it'll be totally different. But there are some basic principles you want to try that will help you to uh, navigate youth ministries in your local church. So those are some of the things I would bring to the table. The other thing we don't have is that we don't have a youth leader in central states to give direction from the conference. But um, we're, going, we're working on that. There is a session that you're going to have in May that will change the tide somehow, some way, some sharp, but that's all right, no problem. There you go, it's already done. But I want, I, I hope, I hope, I hope 
that our pastors, and I, I wish they were here, would hear the fact that if you could prepare your church to move on without you, then the work will continue. That though pastors move, the church still stays in the community, still works in the community, still have relationships in the community. And those are the things you would want to make sure continues even after a pastor leaves. Every church that I've been to, I have prayed and asked the church, do not wait for the new pastor to give you the direction where you want to go. You, you, we, we had things hopping and popping, popping and hopping, crackling and happening. And when I left, all of a sudden the church said, well, we got to wait for the new guy. Well, that, if the new guy is smart and things were in place that I hopefully I've left and stuff, he will come in and say, hey, I just got to pick this up and keep rolling with this because that's where the church is. So um, sometimes that does happen. Sometimes it doesn't. And so we're hoping that that's the situation here at Top. And we're hoping that that's the situation wherever. Uh, so in case the fruit basket gets upturned over uh, May 31, uh, you can still move on with your ministry, especially for your young people, because they are the ones who get the, who hurt the most when things happen like change of leadership. All right. So we want to we just want to just want to set that tone um, for you today. I just want to share with you some of the other things. We have quite a technology uh, hodgepodge going on right now. Um, and, and everything I do, I am preparing it and sharing it with you and, and kind of hoping that you will say, hey, these are the practice things I need to do. So when you present something, you always want to present who you are. So, you know, y'all don't know me. I'm Pastor Roger Wade. Uh, Roger R. Wade. And uh, I am here with, I am the church ministries director for Mid-America Union. Church ministries involves all of the ministries. I only focus on six of them. One of the major ones is youth. So I am, quote unquote, the youth director for the union. And so with that, uh, my, my email and, and my cell number is up there. I, I'm not afraid to share my cell number. Um, you can take it, you can use it, you can text me, you can call me. Um, if you want to get the answer, do that. Um, you'll have another opportunity to, to, to get that information again. Um, email is good, texting is good. If I don't answer when you call, don't worry, I'll, and I will get back to you. I, I'm busy and moving around, getting things done. I want to just share a couple of things with you so you understand where I'm coming from. I am at the union level. If you know uh, the union level, um, in our church, we have the local church, Top Lighthouse, our local church. They are where the people meet. This is where worship happens. This is where uh, God gets his on on. And, um, and after that, we are, uh, churches are bundled into groups for, uh, that make up conferences. Your conference is the Central States Conference. Central States Conference here in the Mid-America Union takes up the whole union, except for Dakota, that you don't have any work in the Dakota Conference, but you have work everywhere else. So um, I don't think you have any in Wyoming yet. So there are three states you don't have. We have 10 states in the Mid-America Union. We have uh, Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Minnesota, uh, Rocky, uh, Colorado, Wyoming, North and South Dakota, and a little county in New Mexico. That makes up the, the Mid-America Union. It also kind of makes up 
um, central state. So um, you have, uh, they have um, set up um, areas in which within the regions within the central states conference and you're part of the SLAM region and uh, SLAM is the St. Louis Adventist Ministries, right? I think that's what it is. And so you're part of that. So uh, from the conferences, there are six conferences in the Mid-America Union. Of those six, Central States is one. We have the Minnesota Conference. We have the Rocky Mountain Conference. We have the Iowa-Missouri Conference, the Kansas-Nebraska Conference, and the Dakota Conference. They make up the, the uh, Mid-America Union, and that's where I sit. I sit right at the Mid-America Union serving in ministries. So I serve the ministries for the union. Um, so that you know where I come from, our vision at the union is to provide a steady flow of leadership, communications, mentoring, and training. So I, my role is to come into this field and provide leadership, communications, mentoring, and training. I'm doing training today. I'm doing leadership today. Mentoring is something that we can do in a rhetoric and communicating as well. So I'm, I'm literally visioning what our union is, is supposed to do. Um, our mission is to strengthen the local conferences, the church, and the institutions. So I'm, I'm to strengthen you. How I strengthen you is based on what your mission is and how I can come alongside you and make that happen. There are three things we value at the union. We value collaboration. You know what collaboration is? What's collaboration? Working together. That's it. It's not me coming and saying, hey, do this. Let me share how that has worked out. Um, you made a decision to have church today. The conference collaborated with you. It didn't dictate to you not to have church. It collaborated with you. It gave you a lot of information and, and shared that, hey, once you get this information, you make the decision. You then looked at your mission. You looked at your membership. And you made a decision. What am I going to do? We're going to go ahead and have worship. And so you did that. So they collaborated. I'm collaborating with them. Uh, we are also big on, we value responsibility. It is your responsibility to make things happen at the local level. My responsibility is to make sure that I do the vision and the, and the, and the mission of the union to you. in strengthening you in making you better. And that's what I'm going to do today. And also we value diversity. Diversity not just in color, diversity in skills, diversity in all the things of, that makes diversity what it is. So that's where I'm coming from. That's my platform. Any questions about the union and what I am supposed to do? Okay, great. Let's get down to business. All right. The problem in our church is that, well, I shouldn't say it's a problem. Over the years, we have been seeing that youth and young adults have been disappearing among our congregation. I would have to say, if you were here 10 years ago, when did Top, I know Top started with a collaboration, right? 70? In 07. So from 07 to now, can you, uh, can you think about our people who was here in 07, young adults who were here in 07, are they still here today? They're not. It's a different set. But would, you would have thought that the set that you had in 07 would still be here today. You're here. Why can't they be here? You know? The problem with our church is that we're losing our young adults, uh, our youth and young adults. Why is that? Our youth are coming to church because they have to. Parents say, you're going to church. 
You know, there was a time. There wasn't a time when you would ever think that you would get up Sabbath morning and decide, I ain't going to church. Nowadays, that's, that's what happens. We have adults who come to church and their children is, are still at home in their beds. There are, there, are, there are congregations around North America where that is a reality. Where there are parents who leave their children at home because they don't want to fight. They don't want to have an issue. They don't want to have to deal with stuff. So they leave them at home, come into church, and they get their little praise on. And they leave and go back home and can pick up the fight all over again. And when you talk to these kids, you, get, you begin to get an understanding there is a real problem with the way we do church. Now, you see the problem in the Caucasian church more than you'd see the problem in the black and the Hispanic church. Because in the black and the Hispanic church, we value families, family relationships more than you see it in the Caucasian. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they don't value family in the Caucasian church. I am just saying that in our culture, it tends to be more important to, to, to have that connection with family. That's why you tend to see family reunions among African Americans. Uh, you see more families, uh, 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 groups within the the, the Hispanic church, uh, the Hispanic families, and and even the Korean families. That's why when you, I don't know if you all see it here in St. Louis, but where I came from in New York, um, a, a a a Oriental or Asian family would run the would run the Chinese uh, food um, um, Chinese restaurant, and when you go there, it's brother, sister, mother, father, all working up in there. They still do, right. They are still involved in keeping that family together. We see that in the Vietnamese family uh, circle. We don't see it too much in the African-American circle, but we do are very strong with family. We make sure we eat together, especially one day a week. We make sure we hang together, those kinds of things. Um, we worship together, uh, those things we c consider important. But what is happening is that uh, our institutions that we hold dear are not meeting the needs of our young people. And so they tend to begin to walk. In the black church in particularly, the moment they go off to college, whew, sometimes we lose them. They get a little freedom. They get out there and it's like buck wild. And so, and then they will go out and then possibly around 35, 40, they leave at 18 because they go off to college, about 35, 40, all of a sudden, <laughs> they meet Jesus, and they find their way back to church, and all of a sudden, everything is calm in their lives, and now they begin to realize how important it was. They, they wish they didn't leave, but they did leave, those kinds of things. So what we want to do is develop a church tr culture that will get them, um, that would allow them not to leave. And the only way to do that is that we need to be more um, willing to be um, more, uh, what's the word? Um, what's the word? Come on, you know it. Uh, Lord, not just involved, but more intentional with church. And so I want to share with you some things 
that uh, we serve. Growing a young church, is this, is a new, this is not a new concept, but it is helping us, isn't about changing youth ministry, it's about changing church culture. There is something about culture that causes us to do. There are some things that we do as a church, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in the African-American realm right now. There are some things we do as a church that um, if, we, if you don't do it, there's going to be a problem in the church service. Let's talk about the church service. What are some of the things that if we did not do it here at, at Top or even at Lighthouse, you can enlighten us, what are some of the things, if you didn't have it, it wouldn't be church? Music. What else? Sabbath school. Mm-hmm. The sermon. We're big on the, if you didn't have a sermon, you're like, oh boy, what? we didn't have church. Sermon run, okay. Fellowship dinner. What else? What else are some of the cultural things here that if we didn't do it, it wasn't church? A-Y, okay. Having the choir. So those are some of the things we consider culture. But there are some other things like uh, bringing you all the tithe into the storehouse. If we didn't say that, we hey, that tithe can't, the, the money can't come into the church. You know? Uh, there are some other things. Singing the doxology. Praise God from whom our blessings flow. Those are cultural things that if we did not do, could I take my jacket off? If we did not do, we are actually going to consider that we didn't have church. It wasn't church. Matter of fact, um, 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 if the pastor wasn't at church, it wasn't church. If he didn't preach at church, it wasn't church. You know, there are some things, cultural things. So our young people now grew up with this mindset of culture. In some churches, it's the fact that you got to have a hymn. Not a hymn. But a hymn, the song that that uh, that only you know only comes out of the hymn book. Now y'all don't have a single hymn book in this church. It's not out here. They're downstairs. Why? For Sabbath school, right? <laughs> it's not part of your culture up here anymore. It must have been at some point. But you don't sing the hymns even in church. Even in church, you don't sing the hymns. Some churches, boy, if you don't do a hymn. You ain't got church. You know, um, the, you know, there's a time when I came up, uh, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let's be quiet, silent. You know, you can't, you can't make noise, in, you know, at certain times in the church. Your praise and worship in some cultures, that's a no-no. I, had, I pastored a church that I had a member who would leave church, leave the sanctuary, because they felt that praise and worship was um, was a kind of a, it was not holy, it was kind of trying to pimp God, and so they didn't want to participate in that. And so they would, the church, just before I got there, the church would do praise and worship, and then it would say, let's have the call to worship. And I said, but wait, praise and worship is part of worship. And so we had to do a culture change. And we got the culture to change, and then they realized when they heard call to worship, they did not want to be outside in the foyer anymore because that meant they weren't in church. So when we changed it, they were forced to sit in church and have to be part of praise and worship. 
But I was, I was a nice pastor. So what we did was we did praise and worship. And then I said to the praise and worship leader, throw a hymn in there. And they threw a hymn in there. Oh, man, they loved it. And then on top of that, once we finished praise and worship, we would have a prayer to kind of seal it up. Like all of a sudden, it's, you, you, know, you put a spiritual bow on it and it looks good to God. Uh, anyway, so that was, that was a way the church was able to change its culture in understanding how praise and worship work. Another thing we do when we want to change culture, especially when we want to get young people are more involved in church, all of a sudden we introduce drums. Oh, yeah, we're going to get them. We're going to get drums in here. Ah, we're going to get a band in here. We're going to do it all different. We're going to get all hype and, you know, get all excited. But that young people ain't looking for that. You know, young people, you know what they're looking, you know, I passed it. I, I, I led in a conference that was very traditional. And when young people would always complain, oh, the old people this, the old folks this, the old folks all with, with their tradition and everything. The moment they get an opportunity to craft their worship service, they did exactly what the old folks were doing. I'm saying, dude, get something different. Let's, let's do something. Let's look at something different. Let's, let's get, get what you, you know, let's put in what you want. And it's not until you realize it's the mindset. It's the mindset. So what, what we're trying to do is change the church's mindset in order to help you grow young, grow young. So what does the future of our church look like? What does it look like? What, what is the future of our church? You see the trends. What are some of the trends happening? Uh, let me share some trends with you. I should have put some slides in on this, but I didn't. Um, um, Bonner did, a res did some research. And the research he shared a couple years ago was that uh, young people are leaving, young, young and young adults are leaving the church for six reasons. One of the key reasons they're leaving the church is the fact that we are shallow in how we preach, in the Bible we preach. We're not giving them the whole truth. We're giving them stuff to just help their appetite. In other words, they're drinking milk and they're looking for meat. They're drinking milk and they're looking, we're giving them milk and they're looking for meat. So, so what young adults said in that survey is that they want some real study of what's really happening in the word of God. And so that doesn't mean that you have to have this long dissertation about um, what the word means and how they want it. They want to know how does this would apply to their life. So one of the, the things I like to share with folks when it comes to understanding how young people look at the Bible, what is, is how we tell our stories. When you, when you tell the story of David and Goliath, can anyone tell me why did David fight Goliath? He was chosen to do it, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. They were disrespecting God's name and people, so he stood up. He jumped up and do it. Okay. Nobody else would. All right. Anybody else wanna? He was fearless. Okay, because he fought the lion and the bear. Right. He was all that and a bag of chips with some vegetarian dip on the side. Right. What else? What else? What else? Yes. He trusted in God. Okay. Those are good reasons why 
you are going to want why David fought Goliath. Anybody else want to share why you think David fought? It's in the text. But we tell the story that David came, saw his brothers, and he heard them, uh, heard Goliath saying what he was saying, and, and he felt like he needed to stand up for God. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that was it. Okay. All right. All right. I need you to reread that story. No, no, no. I need you to reread the story. Because when you read the story, you realize what's really going on in the story. I'll tell you, when David got there and he heard what was going on, he asked three times this one question. What do you get for fighting that, that giant? David is 17 years old. What do you get for fighting the giant? He's 17 years old. He's not 32. He's not 35. He didn't leave the church and come back. He's 17. What does a 17-year-old think like? Hold on. 14, almost. Uh, what does, uh, I'll wait till you're 17. I won't put you in the spot now. Any 17-year-olds in here? Almost. All right, so David, what's David's, what's David's reality? Keeping sheep, right? Fighting the bear, fighting the lion, being the one left out. Remember when, when, Sa- when Samuel came to anoint the new king, what happened? He couldn't find it among the other brothers. He said, wait, do you have another one? All of a sudden, Jesse says, oh, yeah, that's right. I got one more son. That's how bad it was for David. He, Samuel says, I'm going to sit here and wait till you go get him. Samuel was old. And he waited, he waited, he waited, he waited. When, when David came in, he anointed David. It was a byproduct that he remembered there was one more. So David is this kind of guy who's not really taken serious. He's a 17-year-old at the church who y'all really, because he just take care of sheep. Y'all don't think about him leading the AY. You don't think about him leading out in a ministry. Doesn't get a key to come into the church. He doesn't get to sit on the board. He is, he is literally one of those guys, when you see him, oh, yeah, that's Jesse's son. He's a good boy. <laughs> Jesse got some good boys. Actually, Eliab is a better, you know, I like him. Let's get Eliab to be a member of this, this group. We tend to not look at David as one of those guys, but when it comes to telling the story about Goliath, all of a sudden, David gets raised up, and we're like, oh, yeah, he's standing up for God. But in the text, David acts three times, what do you get if you fight Goliath? What does he get? He gets the girl. He gets money. And he gets the prestige for his family. He didn't ask the question once. He didn't ask the question twice. He asked the question three times. Why do I know that's important? Because later on in David's life, what is his greatest challenge? women. Mm. 
The very same girl he gets for fighting Goliath was the one who ridiculed him for dancing before the Lord. The very same Micah. Then he, he gets involved with Bathsheba. And we know that story. And what he does to sleep with Bathsheba. He's struggling with women. So when he's 17 and he hears, if I fight Goliath, ha, I get a girl. He's 17. We don't tell that side of the story. I'm not saying what you said was wrong. I'm not saying that, oh, he didn't fight to give God to, 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 uh, for the honor of God. But I'm saying we don't tell the whole story. And when our young people are struggling to figure out how this Bible character made it and how I could make it and we don't make the connection, then they say we're shallow in how we teach the Bible. And so they leave us and they go out to someone else who is teaching them more. And they begin to say, oh, I, can, I get more information over here. So we miss that opportunity. The other thing we do, um, um, they said that why they left the church is the church is very judgmental. Very judgmental. The moment you mess up, the scarlet letter is, picked, is, is sewn on you. you, you um, and, and the funny thing is this. Um, you, I was in a church that disfellowshipped someone for lying. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't that they told one lie and that was it. Okay, It's not like you know, not, the young people are like, oh my gosh, I can't tell a lie now. No, uh, the re they, they, they were perpetual liars. They actually were taking advantage of the seniors in the church and borrowing money from them and not paying them back and all this kind of stuff. So the elders uh, brought a charge that they lied to, the, to another church member. And, you know, yeah, it may have been true and everything. And they brought the charge to the church at large, and the church voted to disfellowship them for lying. I've never seen that before. I was blown away. I still kept all the notes from that series because I want to make sure I don't get caught up in no court battle or anything like that. But I just couldn't believe that we, not that, not that it was wrong, but that we were willing to go that far. And what I shared with the elders is that if we're going to do that for that, we've got to be prepared to do it for the other thing. But we're very quick to be judgmental. Let someone have a question of their faith and we brand them to not be faithful. Let some of our young people in today's society question their sexuality and we brand them, label them, and ostracize them. Let, let some of our young people experiment with their sexuality and we're ready to censor them and not love them back into the into a normal relationship with the church. Let, 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 let there be, a, let there be a, a chance cited that we saw them downtown Friday evening at the cinema, the movie theater, and all of a sudden the, 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 the innuendos. Huh? Hey, come on now. Remember, remember when the woman was caught in adultery? They broke in on her when they were in the act. So in that moment, in that, not, 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 I could be, could I be, little, uh, could I be real in how I share the story? They were in the act. What happens when you're in the act? No, you're in the act. Think about it. I'm not gonna go any further than that. You're in the act, and they 
busting. You're naked. You ain't thinking about what's around you because your mind is somewhere else. You're about to get to that moment where your body says, oh, this is good. And they bust in on you. And then you don't hear nothing about the guy. We got to tell the whole story. But we blame the woman. We're very judgmental. And there are some other things that we, we, we do that, that cause our young people to say, hey, I don't want to be a part of this. One, of the thi- one other thing they talk about is that we are not good with science. We tend to not believe or in, in, um, in embrace new thinking in terms of when it comes to science. Although in the Adventist church, that's not how we do what we do. We are very scientific, especially in the healthcare business, health, especially in technology. A lot, of our, a, lot of, a lot of our schools are involved in technology. Walla Walla is very strong in engineering. Um, Southern University is very strong in teaching the arts. Um, Loma Linda, of course, is strong in the medical arts. Um, um, you have schools like Oakwood, big on preaching, uh, uh, seminary um, up in Andrews, big on preaching and teaching theology. So our school is right there on the edge when it comes to the, um, technology and things like that. So it's a little different from the Adventist side of things and outside of the Adventist church. But overall, most of the young adults outside of the Adventist church and part of Christendom say that the, lo- the church is not big on theology. That's catching us also even now with coronavirus because now a lot of the churches are struggling to go online because we haven't embraced technology. So there is something, you are online, uh, and I didn't hear it this morning, so I don't know, but I don't want to judge you. You did not invite the congregation um, that was watching to be a part of what was happening here. Those are some of the little things that I, I, I pick up on when you have churches who uh, understand the culture in which they live. And so, and that's, a, that's something that you have to practice and be de- in deliberate about. So anyway, but we usually do? All right. Who does it? Uh, it's not the pastor. It's got to be you. But y'all, y'all need to be the ones doing it. <laughs> what does the future of this church look like? What do, what do you see the future look like? You're losing your pastor. You're going to be strong, all right? So you're going you're gonna to still move forward. You're going to still connect. But when you look at the overall church, top may be all right. But there are churches in other parts of this country that are going to die because the church is not willing to change its culture. One in two of our young adults drift. So the person next to you is going to be missing from church in a couple of years, if not days, if not weeks. One in two. So the young people, when you had all those young people sitting down over there the, um, this morning, that was great. But every other one of them is going to disappear from your church if you don't change your culture. So that doesn't have to be it. That doesn't have to be it. Some people feel that a church needs to have certain things for it to grow young. What, what do you think a church needs to have in order to grow young? And I, when I say grow young, 
doesn't mean that the average age, well, it, it can mean that the average age of your church is a younger generation. I don't know what the average age of your membership is here, but by looking at the people who were here this morning, not seeing everybody here, I would have to say it is in the 40s, maybe 50s. And you will probably tell me when everybody's here, it may really be in the 60s. No? It's more in the 40s, 50s. Right. But, but, but after a while, that means you're going to stay strong for a while. But if you do not attract young people in two ways, either you got to birth them, and some of you looking at me like, it ain't happening anymore. Or you're going to have to attract them. And so you, how you attract them is how you change your, your culture. So how would you change culture in this place? Include them, all right? Some people feel, some people feel that in order to attract young people, we need a church that has a lot of space. A size, a big church. They want to be part of a big church. They don't want to be part of a small church. And that is a myth. Size does not matter. Size does not matter. Young people don't care about size. They do not care about the size of the church. Some people feel that in order to grow young, you need to find a good location or a good region. But I'll tell you this, young people will go wherever it's happening. I pastored a church that was on the New York, New York uh, Thruway, and we were in Rochester, but I had, mem I had young adults who would drive two hours to get to church because it was happening there. It wasn't happening at their church. They would jump on a freeway, pay a toll, and come to church Sabbath morning. Location doesn't matter does not matter. So you're up in the Spanish Lake area of St. Louis. You're kind of, what, north of St. Louis? They'll come out here if this is where it's happening. If this is the spot, they will find the spot. If you change your culture to include young people, and I'll share some other things with that, this will be the place they will come. Some people feel that the church's age it's what's needed to grow young. In other words, we need a young church. A church that just started, a church that's hip, a church that, nah, that's, that has nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, a more seasoned church is the better church because they understand, they know what it's like to go through, through changes. They know what it's like to say, hey, it's already done. They know what it's like to understand that God has done it in the past. He's going to do it again. Age does not matter. Age does not matter. Some believe that a, a church that has a contemporary service is a church that will grow young. And that's not true. That's not true. Service doesn't matter. The type of service you have doesn't matter. Why is that? Because most young people are not looking technically for the service. They're looking for the relationship. They're looking for the relationship. So growing young. Churches that aren't shrinking and aging but are growing in are involving and retaining young people age 15 to 29 
which brings an overall vitality to the local church. I've heard a lot of people talk about, a lot of young, um, young families talk about the reason I go, some of them go to another church for Sabbath school, and then they'll come to the African American church for the 11 o'clock service. Because they need to make sure that their young people, the young people in their family are fed. And then they come over here for the sermon kind of thing, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And so th that happens a lot. That happens a lot. And so our church needs to realize that it needs to provide um, and involve young people from every age, not just uh, Sabbath school. We, you know, we do, we do all right with Sabbath school, but we need to involve them the whole way through. So when we get to our worship service, we have to really begin to think, how are we connecting to young people in the worship service? From sermon to songs to um, the terminology we use, uh, all of that needs to be looked at in how we grow young, in how we grow young. So there are six commitments I want to share with you today to help you grow young. Six commitments. Now, what I'm sharing with you today is not the end of it. This is just scratching the surface. This is just the, the, the introduction that I want to share with you. In order to go along this journey, it takes a whole year to learn the practices, learn these commitments, and see where they lead you as you move down, uh, go down the way. So, let me introduce them to you. They are looked on a, 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 a circle like this. Um, it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter where you jump off. There are just six things you're doing. Now, what I would like you to do as I talk through them, maybe there are some of the things you're already doing. And so if you're already doing it, then we need to make sure that we continue to do those things um, better. So here are the six commitments. One of the key things we want young people to feel is that they are included. And one of the ways we need to unlock key keychain leadership. And I'm talking about keys. There are people in the church who have a, a set of keys. And when you give them those keys, they are the cat's meow. You can't come in without them. You can't leave without them. You can't do anything without them because they got the key. They in charge. Matter of fact, in the black church, the deacon has a bunch of keys. And the janitor and whoever else we want to give keys to. And he hooks it on his belt and is hanging down, pulling down his pants. The whole time he walks around the church and jacket is on and his keys is just swinging and jingling and it's called Adventist jewelry because we love to lock things up. And the more people that have keys, that's the power struggle you have. When I walk into a church, when I come in as pastor, I would, I, you know, they, they feel, you know, they, you know, churches get all excited. Pastor, we're giving you a key to the church. So I get me my key and then couple of months later, not even months, a couple of weeks later, I want to get somewhere in the church and my key ain't working. And I would say to the deacon, um, 
My key doesn't work. You say, yeah, Pastor, that's right. Your key doesn't work. To, doesn't open that door. Don't worry about it. Just let me know, and I'll make sure the door is open for you. Because he controls the key. We tend to like to, to, to concentrate leadership on, on, on certain things, and so we key in on that. Another thing we, we like to centralize our, our leadership on is our treasurer. Our treasurer runs everything in the church. If the young people want some money, uh, and the treasurer says no, it ain't happening. In the past, I went to a church one time, and I put in a request as the pastor to the to 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 get some funding. They told me, "No, pastor, you you don't put um, you don't put the request in. You got to get you got to get the clerk or the elder to put." I said, "What kind of question is that?" I mean, I didn't say that, but I mean, I'm just like, uh, you know, what you mean? I'm the pastor, you know, and I had to now I had to now back the train up. And kind of teach them as the leader, it's my responsibility and I should be able to, to, to be able to make certain requests. And, but that, that's, another, that's another lesson. But we, we, we need to decentralize authority. Decentralize authority and empower others, especially our young people, to make decisions. To, 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 de to define how, how the train is moving in and out. So, now, it doesn't mean they have to have a key, a physical key, but it does mean they have to have the ability to make the decision. And the problem with a lot of our churches is that we don't allow that to happen, especially with our young people, because number one, they're too young to be on the board. We like to say that. They're too young to be on the board. I, I, I would not want them on the board because sometimes our board fights. And, and um, you know, my wife serves with me in ministry um, when I was at the local level. And um, we, we, when we went to my first district, she went to the board meeting with me. You know, we figured, hey, we had a church, Christian church. Well, one of the members rose up out of himself and attacked the pastor. And my wife was there. And, and what made it worse, too, you know, she is from Jamaica. And the guy was from Jamaica. So they were good friends prior to that moment when, she, when, she, when, when he rose up against me and she was like, what, what wrong with him? And at that moment, I realized, and I was counseled after that, I, was real, I said, I cannot have uh, my wife in the board meeting with me because she would have a different mindset of some of the members and the way they act. And so I can understand why you don't want some of your young people on the board. But we have got to change that culture and invite them to be a part of the leadership and, and making decisions to help move the church in the direction it needs to move. And so we have to unlock key chain leadership. There are three types of that. There are those who have the physical key. There are those who have the, the, the they're, they're the leaders. In other words, they don't have a key, but they, they're, the, they're the old saints that if something was to happen, um, somehow even the elder would call them. And what do you think about this? You know, they, and they will give their peace, and then all of a sudden, uh, that's the direction the church is going in because they have been around long enough. Those, there are those leaders. But we need to unlock key chain leadership and, and share things with you. Now, one of the things uh, to, to, to help you to understand what I'm talking about, could you remember the day you received your key to your car? Your first car. Your first car. 
You remember the day. You don't remember the day. But that moment when you got your key, woo, you were all that in a bag of chips with some vegetarian dip in the side. I, I could turn the key. My, 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 my mother used to tell me, um, until you turn the key to this house, you get in here when I tell you to get here. But when I got the key to the house, I could come and go as I please. I could roll in there when I want to. I, I'm all that because I got a key. That's how they feel sometimes when you give them a key to the church. They get excited. They feel there's responsibility. I can do something. And that grows them. And they, they are now invested in what's happening here at the church. Keychain leadership. We need, we need, we need, we need to decentralize that. We need to, there are, and you would learn that in this journey that you go, how to unpack this keychain leadership. Um, they made a reference to this at uh, the last GC or the GC before, where they actually provided, yeah, GC before, they provided over $250,000 to every division to develop young adult ministries that would make a difference in changing the culture of the local church. And um, with that being said, there, there actually became a whole concept of young adult ministry. All of a sudden, the church wanted to have a young adult leader, a young adult leader, a young adult leader. And they, they groomed all these leaders, but they never really moved to the next step, which is something we'll, we'll talk about. But we need to unlock our leadership. We need to unlock our leadership. The second thing that we need to do, the second thing we need to do is we need to emphasize, not emphasize, but emphasize, empathize with today's young people. Instead of judging and criticizing, we need to step into their shoes of this generation. We need to, we, if you want to attract young people, you need to know what, where they are, what they're thinking, what they're doing, how, how, how they deal with, with life, what, what, is, what is their situation. I remember when I was in school, in high school, the biggest thing I had to deal with are bullies and smoking. Today, I don't want to be a young person today. The stuff they deal with, the drugs, the sex, and they're getting that even from adults. The stuff they have to deal with, and then they come to church and we are so ignorant of what they went through all week. And we act like we have no clue of what they're going through. We need to step into their generation. So that means, yes, you need to get on Facebook. Well, they're not on Facebook, but they're on some kind of social media. You need to get on some kind of social media. And don't be on social media stalking them. Don't be up there saying, hmm, what, what are they into here? What are they doing that? I mean, uh, you know, if you get on social media with your child, just, just be in the background. Just be in the background. You'll kind of hear what they're into, what they're talking about, what they're dealing with. And, 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 and you'll be surprised. If you don't say nothing um, on, on the social media, they will come to you. Did you see what that said? How, how would you? They'll come and ask you questions. Or you now have a way to talk to them offline. So when you see something on there, you're like, hmm. Let me, let me call them. Hey, let's go out to lunch. 
let's, let's do something. You have a way of getting into their psyche when you get into their world. When you get into their world, you want to get into their generation. You got to understand what they're talking about. So I'll give you a, I'll give you a case in point. You'll, you'll laugh when you see it down the road. So I'm planning the Mid-America Union Camporee. And I'm, you know, I'm brainstorming with colleagues and we come up with the text, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And, you know, talks about look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And, and you, know, and, and you know, you keep. So I'm excited because I'm saying, man, Jesus says, all I got to do is look unto him and finish. So I decided to, we decided to title the week, the, the campery, just finish. Hey, got the graphic made, got everything got down packed. And then I decided to run it by some millennials. And the first thing they said to me is, you may want to change that. Because in the young people's mind, just finish means more than looking to Jesus. Come on now. You know, just, 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 let's, just, just finish it up here. And let's, 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 let's just, I'm going to leave it right there. You know, I, I don't want to get too graphic with you. Um, and, and we got some young people in the room. So I had to change the name because when I stepped into their world, what I thought was good and what other adults thought was good wasn't. But if I didn't get in, and it's supposed to be for them. So if I didn't get in their world, I would never know what I was what I was proposing. So we need to get into their world. We need to understand what they're dealing with. We need to get, an, get, an, get a sense of what, what, how they see us. How do they see church? How do they see your church? How do, they, how do they process what you do? Why do we do it the way we do it all the time? What, what is involved in, you know, we got to hear from them. And then when you hear from them, it helps you to change the culture helps you to change the culture. The third thing you want to do is we need to take Jesus' message seriously. We're good at talking about Jesus, but how good are we actually living Jesus' message? It's a tough thing to, to live the message. So I'll give you the toughest time in my ministry. Instead of looking at the formulas about the gospel and how we need to get into their lives and show them how Jesus. So a lot of our young people are dealing with issues, dealing with uh, situations of sexuality. It's, it's, it's a real situation. Us, to us, if, if, you, if you ain't heterosexual, you of the devil. That's how we grew up. Homosexuality is a sin. And if you sin, you miss the mark. And if you miss the mark, you're going where? To hell. Simple as that. There ain't no ifs, ands, or buts. There ain't gray water, nothing. It's done. But that's not what our young people are dealing with. When they go to school and they, they connect with their friends who are questioning their sex, these are their friends. These are people who they connect with. And now... All they could hear from us as adults is that that lifestyle is sin. Because if that lifestyle is sin, I'm not inviting my friend to church. 
that when I invite my friend to church, I'm inviting them to a place that is judgmental about how they are. Nowadays, you can't watch TV without seeing that agenda in your face, especially in the new shows. And it messes with my mind every time I, oh, we got a new show to watch. And I'm sitting down watching the show, and they, I mean, the first episode, I'm like, geez, could you not wait till the sixth or seventh? Why you got to do it in the first one? And then I have to now make a decision, do I really need to watch this? But the problem I go back is because what it's teaching me is their world. So the other day I learned on one of these shows about being a non-binary. I have enough dealing with homosexuality, lesbian, uh, transgender, and all. Now I'm learning about non-binary. Hmm. Yeah. Being a non-binary. Is that where, is that when you are neither male or female? You are them and they. And what is interesting about that is you wonder what a Seventh-day Adventist youth ministries leader got to do with all of that is because I'm ministering to a multitude of different mindsets in the Mid-America Union. You're safe right here in St. Louis in this corner. So one of the things I was just sharing with my wife, I was with the youth directors. Don't tell them I said this. But they, I was with you directors, and we talked about uh, a dress code at one of our functions not being uh, no saggy pants. You know what? They, you know what my cousins told me? Oh, that's old. So old, two thousand five thinking. So I was like, okay. Yesterday I'm in the mall. Guess what I see? Pants sagging all the way down to their hip. So it's still happening especially in our culture. So again, in order to really, if I had stayed up there, I'd have been like, okay, no, nobody doing saggy pants anymore. But once I got in the culture, mm, there it is. So we've got to step into the culture and we've got to take Jesus' message. So um, I, I, I digress. So Jesus' message says that you ought to love everyone, right? So how do I love everyone when I'm in a church? that says homosexuality is a sin. How do we teach that? How do we teach love in an environment like that? And we, we actually need to teach it the biblical way. And when you look at Jesus and how he dealt with it, you realize that Jesus didn't, didn't condone it, but he still loved them. And we need to arm our, our young people with how do I still be friends with someone who is in that lifestyle, but they know that that ain't me, but I'm your friend. We got to teach that. And some of that we got to teach even how we deal with each other, even in church. I remember one church uh, I was doing it. I came into the church and was preaching about the love and we have to respect one another and all that kind of stuff. And then members began to use my sermon against each other. I said, oh my goodness. They, they realized that, hey, we got to do something about this. 
And so they were then telling people, well, they're not this kind of person. And you preached about this. And I'm like, don't hold me against that. Y'all were, were friends all before I got here. But they wanted to use the word of God to go against each other. But we've got to make Jesus' message real. We've got to make Jesus' message real. And, we, and I was sharing with someone earlier, you've got to preach what you believe. And you've got to believe what you preach. So, so I didn't just preach a good field sermon today. Don't, don't, don't take what I preach today thinking, oh, he just did that to get all these amens and jumping up and claps and feel good and pats on the back. I believe what I preach. Then if I don't, then I'm wasting your time and my time. And so that means I need to believe that God has something special for me. I got to believe that he has plans to prosper me and, to, and to, to make me grow. I have to believe that when I ask for forgiveness, he will forgive me. I have to believe that when I confess my sins, that he is faithful enough to, to, to forgive me and to help me move forward. I have to believe that if I trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding, that he is going to direct my path. I have to believe that if I just delight myself in the Lord. He will give me the desires of my heart. Whatever those desires are, he's going to do it. I have to believe what I preach. I have to take Jesus' message seriously. That's what changes the culture of this church. Not pretending, not acting like it's just words that are up on the screen. I when I come off the pulpit, I got to when I stand at the back door, I got to believe it's already done. I've got to believe that if I trust him this week and not lean on my understanding, he's going to direct my path. I've got to believe that even if I get an F in class, I'm going to still pass the class. I've got to believe that. Got to take Jesus' message seriously. Moving along, I don't want to be here too long with you. Although I know you have a lot to do tonight. Um, are you all still having your, your, your volleyball championship? Okay, so we're going to move on. Um, it's canceled? Okay, it's canceled. All right, so I don't have to rush. All right, no, I'm just kidding. Um, the other thing we need to do is fuel a warm community. People come to church here, they got to feel welcomed. Instead of focusing on cool worship, oh, we got this going on and all that. Our programs, we got to aim at warming the intergenerational friendships. Old folks got to hang with young folks. Young folks got to hang with old folks. That's, that's how we, we got to get in a place where we love hanging with each other. Yeah, fellowship dinner is nice. That's a good way of doing it, but there are other places we need to, to show that intergenerational time together. In Sabbath school, in, in worship service, with, in, in anything we do, we've got to not be afraid. You know, it, I, I was in a church, and the head deacon would come to me and say, Pastor, the young people are doing such and such. Could you talk to them? I said, no, 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 no. You don't need to talk to them. I may have a relationship with them. Yeah, they love me. They love the pastor. But I can't be your policeman. You've got to get that relationship with them. You've got to work that out with them. You've got to develop a warm community. 
with your young people. You've got to do that. And there are ways in which, in our deliberate ways in which you do that. Deliberate ways in which you do that. The, the fifth thing, the fifth commitment is that we need to prioritize young people and families. Young people don't just walk in here on their own. You know, we like to say, well, our young people, uh, they need to come to church more. They need to do this. We need to do that. But it's not the young people that we, is at fault there. It's the, it's the parents. The parents drive them in. Because they sure, I ain't seen no bus drive down Parker Avenue or Parker Road. Is there a bus in Parker Road? No, ain't no bus in Parker Road. So they can't get here. I pastored in New York City. And in New York City, you don't need no car. You can get on the train, the bus, whatever. So kids had more access to get to church. But once you leave the city, they can't get here. But we need to prioritize our activities, not just for young people, but for families, so that everybody can be a part of it. When you have an evangelistic series, don't just plan for the adults. You got to plan for the kids. What are the kids going to do? What are parents going to do with their kids when they're here? You're trying to pour Jesus into them. They're, they're worrying about, what am I going to do with my kid? What am I going to do? Where am I going to put them? What are they going to be doing while I'm upstairs hearing about the beast? What are they going to do? So you need to plan for families. And once you start doing that, you'll be surprised what families, what sacrifices families would do to be a part of your church. Right now, is the, this coronavirus thing is the greatest opportunity to minister to families. How do you think? Put on your top thinking hat. What are some of the things you can do to minister to families during this coronavirus? Yes. I don't even go the next step, but you got to create that relationship opportunity. All right. What are, what are some of the other things you can do? Especially now, a lot of your seniors didn't come to church today. Do they know how to connect via the Internet to see the service? No. So that could be something that somebody or someone can call them and tell them what to do, give them direction. That could be a ministry. Connecting with the seniors saying, hey. You want to, I want you, we want you to be a part of church. This is how you do it. That could be something young people do for, for the older seniors. Another thing can be what? They don't get to, they can't go out. I saw your hand. Yes. Make sure they have supplies. That's where I was headed. You can now decide that, hey, I'll go shop for you. And you go out and you go to the grocery store or as a church. Y'all can say, hey, let's, we, we, let's get a, a Costco card. And we go as a church 
and we buy supplies as a church and we share it with our seniors as to how we give out at Thanksgiving baskets, things like that. There are so many ways in which we can, we can prioritize young people and our families. Instead of giving lip service to how much young people matter, look for creative ways to tangibly support them, resource them, involve them in all the facets of your congregation. You did, you did something today where you had a young person uh, lead out in the thank offering portion, what I saw, and you had the young people pick up the offering. But I'll say y'all need to go a little extra step on that. You have young people on there? Okay. Okay. All right. I would hate calling them juniors too. They, they assist. There you go. Ah, come on now. There you go. You're growing. That's how you grow young. They are assistants. What, what are some other ways? Yes. Uh, the, there you go. Youth, pr youth praise team. Get them involved. All right. Having them read the scripture on, on, on Sabbath morning, not just at youth day. Don't have youth day once a quarter. Every Sabbath ought to be a young person in the midst of your service, involved in your service. Every Sabbath. Doing the welcome. Innovative ways in doing welcome. All right, so you are doing some things, but I'm saying you need to prioritize it Make sure they are part of that. The last thing I want to point out is that you have to be the best neighbors. Instead of condemning the world outside your walls, enable young people to neighbor well. That's why sometimes they don't invite their, pe their friends to come to church. Because we don't do well in being good neighbors. In the, in the urban setting, where I, when I passed it in, in the city, churches in the cities, we would come to church and we want to park in front of people's park driveways and we, we all mad when they say, hey, you're parking in our driveway. I mean, we need to be better neighbors. We need to be better neighbors. How, how do you treat your neighbors around? I mean, they are far from you, but how do you treat your neighbors around you? Do they know you're here? They should. They know you're here. Trust me. They see you drive in. And they see you drive out. But maybe they have kids. That would be a good piece to, for them to come and be a part of your church. But they don't know because we don't connect with them. We don't show them that we're good neighbors. When it comes to, when it comes to um, our special days, do we go and knock on the door and say, hey, we want to invite you to come and be a part of this special celebration. Hey, we actually want you to be a part of everything we do on Sabbath morning. You know, every Saturday morning we have a little study and we do, get, do breakfast and we have fellowship lunch after worship and we want you to come and worship with us and come and eat. Don't have to worry about cooking or just come and be a part, be a part of the fellowship. Do we do that? Don't say anything. Being the best neighbor that we can be. So, I've shared with you six things that will help you to grow young. Some of them right now you're probably doing. You may be doing it a little bit, but you want to do it a lot better. And so the question is, how do we grow young together? Well, a lot of people thought about this idea of, of, uh, of growing young to be a youth ministries program. But I, as I shared earlier, it's a cultural program. 
in terms of how you change the culture, the thinking of your church. And so, how do you do that? Well, there are four levels I want to introduce to you. You may not see them too well on there. The first level that I want to challenge you to do, I'll go back and forth on this, is that you need to, the first level engagement is to get the book. There's a book out there. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it electronically. You get it on Kindle. Kindle. You can call Advanced Source if you don't want to give your money to Amazon. <laughs> um, you can go into Barnes & Noble and get the book. This book will help you to develop, think differently on how to meet the needs of your young people, how to attract young people to your church, how to attract young people to your church. And get a group of you, get a group of y'all to read it. Decide, hey, let's, you know, maybe the whole church doesn't need to read, but maybe the leadership team, maybe a couple of young people, the elders, the pastor, you all sit down together, read the book, dialogue about the book. What did you learn out of this chapter? What did you learn out of that chapter? Uh, each of those six commitments are part of uh, a chapter in the book, and it goes in, it shows data, and it shows research on how, how these core values or core commitments are helping to change the culture of churches across North America. And it can happen right here in the Adventist Church too. So you want to, you want to do this book club. The second thing you want to do that, that is available to you and it's free is considered uh, an assessment. You can do an online assessment. The online assessment uh, allows you to see where your thinking is, how you fall within grasping each and every one of these uh, commitments. So once you read the book as a team, you can even take the team assessment. So you can begin, you'll answer the questions individually, and then it will give an, it'll give an uh, a analyzation of how the team think, which could be how the church think. You could even have a group of the church members to do the assessment so that you get an idea of where the members that are sitting in the pew, where they're thinking when it comes to growing young. The other, the other we talked about is that after you do that, you definitely want to meet with your leadership team. If you decide you want to go on a journey, it's a year-long process. It's time commitment, and there are some funds that need to be put out towards it. Start, re start a reading group, do the assessment, have your leadership team, church board, vote it, and then the last thing you need to do is join a cohort. A cohort is a group of churches who are going on a journey with you. And that cohort involves two in-person intensives or six and six monthly online conferences. So over the year, you're going to be on a Zoom conference, talking to other churches, sharing what you have been practicing, what you tried, what didn't work. You're going to process all of this together so you can get it well, do it well. At the end of the year, as you implement some of these things, I believe you will find that your church has grown young. And you have now begun to begun, not have completed, but you have begun the ch fixing, uh, not the fixing, but the changing of the culture, changing of the culture. 
So that's my presentation on growing a church young. That's the six commitments that you need to have to help you do that. There is no, it's not rocket science. It's just, it's just simply rethinking how we do church and have a reason for the why we do church the way we do it if we want to attract young people to be a part of our church. It doesn't happen overnight because right now, a lot of our churches, if we still stay the course, we're going to lose them. They're going to walk away. They're going to drift off. They're one in two young people drift from the church. And then you have, you know, we like to have homecoming Sabbath, and we want to invite those to come back to church. And when we try to get them back here, they say, all right, we'll come back. When they come back, they realize things ain't changed. And so when things don't change, they stay the same. All right, questions. So in my business, that means I did a good job. No questions at all. Yeah. That, 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 that'll work well, but you got to get started somehow because sometimes when we try to get everybody involved and, you know, one person's really not 100% there, sometimes it kind of slows the group down. Um, so I would not say you have to have it, but it is a good thing to try and get everybody to be a part of at least reading the book. Um, again, there are many ways to read the book. So it's not like if they're not a big reader, they could audio, audio book the book. That's how I read most of the book. As I was driving from one assignment to the next, I would just plug it in and listen to it and be, oh, okay. And then I'll actually have to get home and then highlight what I heard and what I liked and take my notes. That's one way of doing it. Or you can just get the book and read it. You can read it electronically on your iPad or your Kindle or your, uh, your tablet. Or you can actually turn the pages. So, uh, yes, that's the ideal way. But it's not the it's not necessary in life to get it started. Um, if you have a subset of elders to read the book, just even the leadership reading the book, to get an idea of how the best way to present it to the church, that's a that's another way to do it. So um, it's not like you have you're forced to have buy-in by everybody at first. But if you can find everyone, if you can find buy-in by everyone, great. So, yes, sorry, thank you. Um, the question was, what sh could parents or should parents do to ignite the spiritual flame at home? First of all, hopefully they have the flame. <laughs> if they don't have the flame, it's hard to set fire to something if you ain't got no fire yourself. So um, um, parents need to always uh, keep 
try to keep their flame going. So that means they personally need to keep doing their personal study, connecting with Christ, trusting him, all that kind of stuff to, to keep the fire to help their children, even if it's just to get them through their high school years. Um, and once you have that, then make sure you do the things that will show that fire. Um, a lot of our parents like to shield our kids, but I think we need to include them even in the troubles that are happening in the home. Um, you know, we don't have the bills to, to, to pay for this. You know, you, I remember one time um, I, I included my son in the fact that, hey, uh, things tight this month, and uh, could I borrow $100 from you? And, and it was funny, that day when he, he lent me the money to pay the bill, I got a check in the mail that was the amount, was it the amount or more, a little bit more, and I had to call him down from his room and I shared the testimony with him. Because I didn't want him to feel, man, my father didn't do his part. He needed money. He called me, borrowed my money. Or he, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get it back. You know, I didn't want all that. In, but I wanted him to see that, yeah, I was in trouble. I trusted God. I asked him for help. He did help me. And now I could turn around and say, here's the money back because God came through. And that's how you keep igniting the, flyer, the fires in your young people, showing them that God is that kind of God, that he is a God that has already done it. But we can't do that if we don't tell them. You know, if we don't live it, we can't do it. So those are some of the things we need to do. Family worship is another big thing. Um, uh, and I'm not, and, and don't, don't feel guilty if you don't get to do it. But just do it when you can, you know, when you remember, when, you know, we are very busy as Adventist parents, um, and some of us come to church on Friday night to prep and all that, and we're going through all this stuff, and we don't get to have that downtime to have worship, and then we get caught up in the mindset, there was Sabbath is a rest Sabbath, and we need to rest on the Sabbath. Our kids don't want to rest on the Sabbath, they better get some stuff happening to get them going. So we need to be um, uh, creative in how we do that. Now, now I'm seeing all this creative stuff. Uh, someone showed, um, uh, if you lived in, in, if someone showed that there were 12 museums that do virtual tours for kids. Uh, and so they shared that link out. Um, so there, there are some very unique ways in which we could minister to our young people. And we, we just got to get into their sphere. You know, that's the other problem, why we can't connect with them, because we don't want to get in their sphere. You go do that. Go read that book. Go do that. Go. We don't get in and go with them with along for the journey. So get in the life with them and, and, and help them to see uh, things. And the other day, I had the greatest joy of sharing the Bible Museum with my son, my nephew, and some friends of theirs. I was in town for um, uh, uh, a convention and they were going to the Bible Museum. I called my son and said, son, would you like to go to the Bible Museum? I'm thinking a college student. You know, but he said, yes. And I said, check with your cousin. He says, well, I don't know if he's going to go. When, when I talked with him afterwards, sure. His my cousin was there. Um, friend was there. Girlfriend was there. And, you know, all of it. But they were there and they came. They spent the whole Sabbath with me at the convention. We went to the Bible Museum. They enjoyed it. And I'm like, man, I need to do more of this kind of stuff. Sometimes we just need to ask them, would you all enjoy doing this with us? You know, let's go and check this out. And 
if it's not Sabbath, I mean, just yesterday, we as a family went and enjoyed the St. Louis Arch as a family. I ain't posted pictures yet, but I will. But there was a moment in that family time when my wife looked at me and says, why did you get me on this thing? You know the thing that goes up in the arch? And when it's going up, it does this. And it goes up and I, I could see that being a little, you know, thing. But as a family, we had such a great time together. And so some of those things we need to share with our kids. When I was in the Virgin Islands, um, I, 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 I didn't pastor there, but I was working there before I came into the church full time. Uh, as a worker, I was in the Virgin Islands, and I, I asked the kids, what do you do on Sabbath afternoons? They said they stay home and watch videos. I said, you're on an island. Boats come in with tons of people who love to do all the things on the island, and you going home and watching videos. And, and so I, I, because the Adventist mindset on the island is we do not get involved with that kind of stuff. Could you imagine God calls us to be the salt of the world? What does salt do? It flavors. Sitting in the salt shaker, does it flavor anything? It got to get in the mix. It got to touch the meat. Come on now. It got to touch the salad. It got to touch the vegetables. It got to touch the bad stuff with the good stuff. That's how it flavors. Could you imagine if enough of us was out flavoring St. Louis? We, we tend to be in our own little corners. Just want to stay safe. We need to get out. We need to get, get out. Families going out doing some things. And people will begin to say, man, you love God? Yes, we do. Get out there and start flavoring this world. That's what we need to do. That will help start the fires with our young people in our churches. Any other questions? Don't be shy. The pastor doesn't have to ask anything and leave. Yes. It's very essential. Everybody has a part to play. But they, they, we, tend to, we tend to put people in their silos. So what do we do? We have men's ministry. We have women's ministry. We have AY. We have the deacon board. We have the deaconess board. But now we call them the deaconess, so they're together. We have the elders. Uh, we have the hospitality group downstairs. We have, you know, we tend to put people in packages, and so we tend to minister that way. We need to start changing the paradigm and start ministering as a church. When we minister as a church, everybody has a part to play in it. So growing young together is what we call it, helps you to see how you can grow together. Everybody grows together. So when the church is in, um, is in uh, evangelism mode. It's not the pastor. It's the church. And everybody is on board. When it's youth day, it's not the young people. It's the church. The young people are just the ones 
out front, but the whole church is behind them making it happen. When it's time to go out and, and, and do, uh, to give out literature and, and serve in the community, it's not the community service, it's the church. And we got to do everything to support that outreach for that day. So that means usher ministry got to come here and do something. That means the deacons got to come here and do something. That means that the, 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 the um, hospitality group that cooks downstairs, they got to come and do something to make that happen. Everybody has to be involved. When I got to the Bethel Seventh-day Adventist Church some years ago, um, wow, and when I got to Bethel some years ago, we decided that we were going to participate in Global Youth Day. And so I said to the young people, you need to go out on that Sabbath, come to church in jeans. Oh, man, they loved it. It's a traditional church. And old church has been around for 112 years. So now the pastor shows up and tells the young people, come to church in jeans. Woo! Well, they came to jeans. Matter of fact, they, the church only could recognize probably about 10 to 15 young people that they would say were members of the church. But because of the mindset that their leader brought and the fact that I was now freeing them to participate in outreach, um, they told their friends, hey, we're going out in the community. We had 70 kids show up that Sabbath. Their friends from school, from their neighborhood, they came, Sabbath school was putting sandwiches together. It wasn't reading the Bible. It was putting together sandwiches that community service said, we're going to give them the bread, the peanut butter, and whatever else they need to make the sandwiches. They made sandwiches, laughing, talking, getting to know each other. They got juice from community service. They put it all together. They wrapped it. They put it in the bag. And I told them when they're ready to leave, come break into church. So they were up prepping. We downstairs, you know, the Lord is in his temple. Let's be silent. Praise God from whom our blessings flow. We're just so glad with all the adults who were having church, man. They were having fun. When there was time, they broke in and all 70 of these kids rolled into the sanctuary and members were like, what? Now let me give you a little backstory. The community service leader was mad with me because that week I was trying to get literature for them to take out, but I ain't call him. So he's like, why you ain't call me? Because he's a keychain leader. So the only way you get literature to give out is I got to go through him. And I said, why? I, I, called the, I called the secretary. Why did I call the leader? I called the personal ministry secretary who told me that these books are available and, and we can get them. She called the leader just to keep him in the loop, what a good assistant would do. And he's mad with me because I ain't called him. So he hot. He ain't called me. So when I heard that he was hot, Friday, I finally got it. And I share with him, I'm so sorry, I fell on my sword, you know, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission, you know, you know, all that talk. So anyway, he was like, he was still hot. So Sabbath morning now, the Lord was with me, come on. And when he saw 70 kids show up, I said, personal ministry leader, come on down and pray for them as they go out and share the word of God. And then he came down there prayed a prayer that blew everybody away. He was so excited. All of a sudden, young people are doing what he wanted them to do for a long time. And so they left. They went out. They had a great time. They came back. We fed. Then that same weekend was a big snowstorm in New York. They 
the boys turned around and went down the block and became good neighbors and was poor and scooping people out of being blocked in. I mean, it was a tremendous blessing. When you unleash your young people, you are going to be surprised what they're willing to do for you. So it's a whole church situation. It's not just the, that group. Community service got involved on that Global Youth Day. Other personal ministries got involved, and we were able as a church to support youth ministries and support the, the efforts of the church to go out in the community. So it's a total church thing. So when we plan stuff, we can't be planning stuff with, all right, women's ministries, you do that. Oh, all right, it's a whole church. So when you sit down at the board meeting, you need to say, church, how are we going to make that happen? Make assignments, but it's the whole church getting involved in making that happen. Any other questions? just a church event, but even a person event. And we tend to just skip everything because we feel that's how it is. So I looked at your, your did someone, I saw a bulletin in the back. Let me, let me utilize your bulletin. Yes, please, go ahead. Go ahead. So I just, I just want to share with you. And so your small church. So your vision is to be a healthy, united body of believers actively providing emotional, physical, and spiritual support. That's your vision. That's the vision is what you want people to see happening here. So when people walk into, into top, they, you want them to see it's a healthy, united body of believers actively providing emotional support, physical and spiritual support. That, that's your vision. How do you make that happen? But, but, but that, that's not what your vision says. See what I'm saying? See, 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 right away, you went to something else. You went outside the, no, but that's not what your vision is saying. How do you develop? How do you develop a healthy, united body of believers? How do you do that? See, that's we don't have to answer it here. But what I'm trying to share with you to answer your question is that we don't really understand our vision and our mission. So when I jump to the mission, our mission is to empower and disciple our members to be loving servants of Jesus Christ, sharing the good news of salvation through prayer, outreach, and worship. I asked you about your vision. 
that's something else. I'm on mission now. See, see, and we got to know the difference. You hear what I'm saying? You, you, ah, ah, you hit it. We've got to change. We got to understand what we say we are. And then you have to now craft it so you work out that what you say you are you are. So I'll give you, give you a case in point that works well. This, you got to say something in one sentence. So our vision at, at the church that it worked at was um, God's love seen through our worship, our fellowship, and our discipleship. That's our vision. That's it. So the question is, what do we see? We know what discipleship, worship, and fellowship is, right? We know those things, how we worship, how we teach others, evangelize, and how we eat lunch and, and worship, fellowship with each other. But the key thing is we got to show God's love. The key text was, I think, was First uh, John 4, verse, I mean, God's love, um, God is love, and, and, you know, I can't remember exactly, but it's that God's love. So now, I simply got to do everything that's involving God's, how do I show God's love in the way we worship? How do I show God's love in the way I fellowship? How do I show God's love in the way I share the gospel? That's easy to, to bite and to chew on, and anybody can do that. And then now you now have what you want as your vision. Now, vision, and I, I don't know how long you've had that, but vision and mission, mission takes a long time to figure out. It's not something you figure out overnight and you're like, yeah, that's my mission. I want to go out and I want to share. Uh, we want to be, we want to empower and disciple our members to be loving servants. How do you empower your members? How do you empower them to decide? How do you empower them to be loving servants of Jesus Christ? Have you given, have you given ownership to your members to be loving servants of Jesus Christ? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. All right. The quick, he wants to, he wants to share the, so y'all can talk and, and they can be hearing. Yeah. So, so what I'm trying to share with you, the question was, how do you do all the stuff? You got to understand your mission and your vision. And I went to your mission and your vision. And when I look at your mission and vision, you need to be able to tell me how are you empowering your members to be loving servants. How are you empowering them to be loving servants? Examples. So what are, what are those examples that you're doing? You help your members out when they are struggling. All right. How, how is that process happening? Is it, a, is it an application? Do they have to go before a board? You don't have to answer those questions. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying to you is this. Once you have defined what it is that you're doing, you have to make sure every member is clear on that. And once every member is clear on that, when things come up, it's easy to make a decision. Do I do this or do I do that? And as a small church, you have to be so clear on your, your vision and your mission that if you're not very clear, 
you're going to be running, ripping every Sabbath. going to be some special day every Sabbath. We got to do this. We got to hurry up and eat downstairs so that we can get somewhere. There's a lot to happen. There's a lot happening because everybody is now wanting their issue and their situation to be the important one. But if you do not have your vision and mission clear and concise and precise and down to earth, it's going to be, you're going to be constantly being run all over the place and tired. And, but if, you ha if you're clear on what you're supposed to do, it's easy. You don't get winded. You don't get disturbed. You don't get worried. How am I going to do it? How are we going to make it? Where are we going to find the money? God provides all of that because we have a clear vision of where God is. Amen. So that church I told you about where the members were using my sermon to go after each other was because we had a clear vision statement. If we're not showing God's love in the way we worship and we fellowship and we discipleship, we're not doing what we want people to see us do. And when they found that, when they realized that, then they started to say, hey, man, we got we to gotta change the way we do church. And that's where you need to be. You need to be so concise. How are you doing church? That was just one aspect. How do you disciple your members to be loving servants of Jesus Christ? So, so what, I'm, what I'm sharing with you is this. You all may need to go back through your vision and vision and begin to put in place what are the things that make that mission statement real, especially to your young people. Because if they don't get it, the seniors, ain't, the older folks ain't going to get it. Um, you talk about prayer, outreach, and worship. So your prayer ministry in this church got to be top-notch. So prayer meeting. Everybody got to be showing up at prayer meeting, right? Mm, oh, boy. Then it's not, a, it's, it's not, you're not hitting your mission. Are your young people coming to prayer meeting? Ah. You see what I'm saying? See, I don't mean to be indicting. I, I mean, you don't have to invite me back now. You know, you're, you were happy last this morning, but I don't know about this afternoon. But what I'm trying to share with you, if you want to be able, if you want to be able, if you want to be able to make an impact based on what you say you do, you've got to be real with yourself. If prayer is important in this church, you've got to make it important. Right. Right, but what I'm saying is that you have a service called prayer meeting. So if that service is not important, then you need to do away with it. If you're doing prayer every other places, then that means that that service is not important to your mission. So if it's not important to your mission, you get rid of it. But if it's important to your mission, you've got to prioritize it. And, um, and I can share with you this. A church that's not praying is a church that's not growing. Now, I'm not saying you have to show up at prayer meeting every week and all this kind of stuff. There are ways you can grow a church um, in their prayer ministry. But, but if you say you have a prayer meeting on Wednesday night or a prayer meeting on Tuesday night and you come in here and it's two people and on Sabbath you have 120 people up in church, that tells you where the priority is. That kind of tells you where the priority is. So once you can develop priority in your, in your programming, you, you will begin to see a difference. The other one you have here is outreach. 
how many outreach days do you have in your calendar? Every month? All right, so on the outreach days in your calendar, what do you do? Does everybody go out? Everyone's invited. Uh-huh, you wear top t-shirts. Everyone's involved. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And 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 you to be honest with to be honest with yourself, you feel that the total church is part of that outreach. Okay. 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 All right. I'm just I'm just sharing with you honesty. And uh, and obviously you do very well with your worship. Right? So you are able to you are able to share the good news of salvation through your worship. You do that very well. We, we're excellent at that. We're good at that because, you know, it's what we, our culture is, is good with, is worship. So the question is, how do we change, how will we get the same kind of energy that we get on Sabbath mornings to be transmitted to our outreach times and transmitted to our prayer meeting times? Because those are the three things you highlighted or, or your prayer time that you highlighted in your mission. And once you get the understanding of your mission, then it's easy to make decisions as to where I put my energy in going and involving myself in other things. I didn't mean to step on any toes, but I just want you, this is what you say you do. You got to live, if you believe it, you got to live it. If you don't live it, you, you know. So I just want to share that with you. Sometimes we may need to just step back a little bit and look at these things and see how it helps us to, to grow young. You know, some, and, you know, and then young, young people, y'all get up and y'all say that mantra every Sabbath. Because then I could imagine a young person sitting here and mm, they, they ain't believing that. So when it's time for me to get, when I reach 18, bye-bye. Because I don't believe it because I'm not seeing it being done in front of me. So those are some of the things you may want to adjust. Does that help answer your question? I went around the, the long way. Right. So we're working on the marriage, um, working on the marriage and all of this. It still is, because there is a, you know how they have us to send up our offices once a year. Mm -hmm. And we try to fill them you know, and so I guess to me, there's a book called Simple Church mm -hmm. that I would push, you know, because if every ministry tries to do its ministry to its full capacity, and when those leaders take these positions, they're like, hey, listen, I'm the, I'm the usher leader now, you know, we got to, you know, so they really want, the, the AY people are saying, hey, I need the church to support me. And all of this stuff continues to happen. Prayer meeting happens. Some people work on Wednesday night. But I mean, AY happens. All of this stuff continues to happen. And I'm just saying, maybe do we need to say, okay, this month we're going to focus on the AY. 
or if we're just, if our mission is just prayer outreach, do we eliminate AY? I'm saying it's a difficult thing. Right, you so follow me? You see what I'm saying? Right. So you, so here, here is something, particularly with AY. I'm not crazy enough to think no. we need to get rid of AY. No, no, no. But, but we need to maybe look at AY differently. Because how we look at AY as a church, as a culture, is that it must happen every Sabbath afternoon. We got to have that one hour before sunset. If we don't have that one hour before sunset, we ain't having AY. But is that only when youth ministry happens? No. Youth ministry happens seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. So we need to change the way we think about youth ministries, AY per se, and encourage and empower, because you talk about empowerment, your members, to minister to young people in a way that would meet the needs of where they are, scratching where it's itching. So we, we have had, so, so we had church today. We had, we had worship today. I heard enough people say, Whoa, boy, I'm tired. I don't know if I can come back this afternoon. And uh, if it's you, don't say nothing. But uh, what I'm saying, some people would have been happy with this afternoon being lay activities and not having anything this afternoon because they were full. I'm, their spirit was full. Their mind was full. There was enough that happened today that said, wow, this was church. We met a need today because you talk about empowering people to worship. You met that need. So now you are now obligated to have a Y because y'all say we got to have a Y and we got an AY leader that's looking to, and we expect an AY to happen. And so we have put these expectations on ourselves because that's what our culture says for us to do. But what if a Y youth ministries happened at Sabbath school time? It does. How I know it does is because when I got, when I, one of my churches, I told my church, I don't need an AY leader to have AY Sabbath afternoon. Kids ain't, kids ain't into that. But they sure was coming to Sabbath school. My AY leader, and my wife at the time, well, she's still my wife, but at the time we were at church, um, they became the Sabbath school teachers for the youth Sabbath school class. And they also were the, were the um, choir, youth choir directors. So that became the youth ministries for the church. Wasn't that we had to have AY? I, I didn't need to have AY every I, I needed some break myself. I needed to chill. You know, after having preached, I need to relax and get away. But because I changed the culture and the mindset that if I am meeting the needs of my young people, where they are, I don't necessarily need to force them to come to AY in the afternoon. I was meeting the needs of them. So what my AY, what my AY leader did, she would text them during the week. My wife became, my wife learned how to text because of that. She was one of those. She, she. I remember her. I remember this. Sing, sing, I, I, I know she's here, so she'll, she'll, she'll vouch for it. Remember back in the day when you used to text, and it wasn't a smartphone. You would press the two, three, four times to get the right letter, and you got to go to the next one, three, four times. Some of our young people don't know what that is, but that's how we used to have to text. And she'll be up in the bed. I'm trying to sleep. 
I got to get this text out. And she'll text them when the next rehearsal is and what song they're singing and what they need to dress because she couldn't call them because they ain't answering the phone. Their parents, you know, you know, but they'll get the text. And that's what she had to do. That's what youth ministry did. It wasn't the fact that we had to have an AY every Sabbath afternoon. When they decided to have an AY, when they wanted to have a program to show off what they have done, what they have practiced, then we had an AY. But other than that, if, if the deacons wanted it, they could have the AY. If uh, health, health ministries wanted it, they could have the AY time. It didn't matter to me. Because my, the needs of my young people were being met. And so, and so what I'm sharing with you is once you know your priorities, you're able to meet the need. And I didn't lose any one of my young people not having EY on, on Sabbath afternoon. Because their needs were being met by leadership from the church who still made sure. Then these same young people turned around um, and they, they, they wanted to do the uh, breast cancer walk. They became the leaders in that. Because these youth leaders empowered them to, to lead out. So what I'm saying is that it's once you know your priorities and you make it clear that this is where you want to go, it's easy. Yes, you may not need to fill the position. Every position don't need to be filled. Don't get it. Don't get fall into that trap. What happens when ministry happens, people will say, you know, this church is serious about this. And they'll step up and say, hey, could I, could I do this ministry? Could I do that ministry? And because they're doing a ministry that they are passionate about, you ain't going to have no problems. But the problem is we like to make sure we fill all the ministries and we get the, the information up to the conference. That's not the important thing because the conference ain't ministering here. So you've got to know your ministry here, know your vision, know your mission here, Fill those things that make a difference here and God will take care of the rest. Any other questions? I'm going to leave that for you. We got passed in the back. So she... And that, I mean, sometimes you just have to decide if, if, you, if you have a need here that you know you need to fix here, sometimes you say, hey, I, I got to So I want, I'll share with you what happened one time. I was pastor in a church, and it was the, the daughter church of the mother church. So one of the members who came from the mother church was a leader in the daughter church. So we're in board meeting, and I'm laying out the dates. It was Memorial Day weekend. And she says, Pastor, um, we don't want, I want to have a big day on that day. But she says, no, Pastor, we don't want to have a big day because it's the other church's homecoming weekend. I'm like, okay, that's their situation. My situation is, as I minister to my members, is that that's the day we're going to do X ministry. And they, they really had a problem with that because all of a sudden now, they were forced to have to come because they didn't want to miss what was going on at our church. Because they've been to that church homecoming every week, every month, every year. It's the same old stuff. So now they, they stayed and they came to our church, came to the, their home church, and they were like, ooh, this was great. You know, so, so sometimes you have to make a decision. 
Are you going to meet the needs of your people? And so when you do that, um, you're able to minister home, which means much more than trying to minister everywhere else around the city. So you have to make those decisions based on your priorities. And once you do that, um, it'll get to a point where your members are going to be more um, given, not just in time, but in, in resources, and, and you will see a growth in their participation. Yes. necessary for um, your children growing Pathfinders is an awesome program it's it's um, very it's a very well laid out uh, program that has provided um, the resources to train our young people help them build skills um, do those things so it's a part of our church that you should you know, if you can do it, hey, roll with it. But if you can't do it because you don't have the supervision, you don't have someone who has the knowledge, then um, you may need to connect with another church that has Pathfinders and, and, and work with them um, as a, a, a dual church participating in the Pathfinder ministry. So it is available. But, you know, for people to say, hey, we've got to try it ourselves. If you don't have the resources to make it happen, don't try it but work with someone else. I'm not going to stand here and tell you it's a bad ministry. It's a great ministry. It's one of the best ministries any denomination. We are the only denomination that really has such a strong um, program for our kids, especially from uh, starting with adventurers from age um, five all the way up to 18 and all older. So it, it's a great program to have. It has some great stuff, some good stuff on leadership, good stuff on learning skills. So, yeah, let's make it happen. Even if you can't have an official Pathfinder program, you can still get the stuff and still work it in as part of your Sabbath school or a youth class or a, 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 a rights of passage program. You can still utilize the program to do those things. So it's a wonderful resource for our church to be a part. Yes, my pastor friend, my colleague. Uh, I was going to respond to that. If you do have any people that are interested in Pathfinders because you do not have a group here, you're more than welcome to join Northside. Come on. Because we do have a lot of kids that are in Pathfinders, um, and we have a Pathfinders leader. So if that's not something that's going to, uh, for lack of a better term, pop off here, then you can definitely bring them over to Northside. We are glad to do a collaborative effort with uh, Todd. Excellent. Problem here was that our children are not interested. We tried it over the years, so we need to let them show them. Well, I think also in addition, um, Pathfinders is not something that's relevant right now. It is, I, I don't want to say not relevant, it is not something that is in the forefront of younger people, their mindset. It can be if it's something that's thriving in the church. But if it's not, it might not be the identity of the congregation that you have here. Um, so it's not necessarily something that you have to force on them. If there are kids that are interested, they can join us. Um, but if they're not, then I'm sure they're interested in other things that can do the same thing that Pathfinders can do. 
So, so I, I know, let me just piggyback on what Pastor shared. Um, when you look at the Pathfinder program, there are so many aspects of the program. For instance, you learn about, uh, they, they can learn about um, health science. They can learn about trades. Um, um, they can learn how to fix a car. They can learn woodworking. There are so many things they can learn. But it's how we present it. It's how we present it. I remember, remember um, the show, uh, the Cosby show. You know, we used to watch that. We was religiously. Once he got caught, we, we kind of put it in the back burner. But he did. He presented something one time when his son presented his girlfriend in a very, in a very funny way. He said, "You presented her like a steak on top of a garbage can." Oh. And so, in other words, the steak was good, but once you put it in the garbage can. I don't want it. So sometimes we present Pathfinders like that. You know, it's good, but, you know, the way we present it is bad. We may not be able to capture the, the dream right away, but we could probably start with a, 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 a AY honor. They learn an AY honor. And, and then, hey, you want to learn more of these? Let's come every Sabbath or every Sunday or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, along with this, you learn about the Bible and you learn about, you know, you learn about different things and you get different skills. And once you get to a certain level, um, even in school, um, I took the class, my chemistry class in school allowed me to get my chemistry honor. And I didn't have to do it twice. I said, praise the Lord. And I was excited about Pathfinder. So there are things they are probably already doing that can get them involved in Pathfinders. And then you have a sister church that says, hey, come on over. That's half your battle right there. You don't have to fight the culture and try to get somebody to lead and carry on. Once the parents buy into it, it's, 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 a, it's a good program to be a part of. Okay, so that's what I was talking about amongst my family here mm -hmm. is why don't the churches in the St. Louis area as a whole pick one ministry run it and everybody get involved with that ministry if they want to. That's that's your leadership. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm but I'm just saying, why? It, that's you know, that's something one you. One church have a women's ministry. One church have a men's ministry. One church have a whatever. And then that, that's something you as a you know? as a you as a group of churches could could work together. But I I I can't stand from the front and tell you don't do it because every church is different. I know, but every church is different. So every church is different. Every church will find a ministry that works for them. Yes, I just got the mic because they'll go all night. <laughs> oh, no problem. Um, so, so basically, basically what I wanted to share to you tonight, what the, the main goal tonight was to share with you that if you see that your church is graying and shrinking, there is a way in which you can help it to grow young. And the way involves, there is some work involved. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to bring in a young preacher, fiery preacher, who can come and preach. It's already done and everybody's going to just bow down and want to run to your church. It don't work that way. You're not going to be able to bring in preachers like Pastor Barnes in the back and they're just going to run to your church. It doesn't work that way. It's involving those six commitments that you're willing to do and you need to learn how to do that. And if you're interested in that, um, what I'm going to suggest you do, I know most of the folks here were from top, get a book club started, read the book, see what's working, what's not working. If you want to move further on in it, 
call my office or call the conference office, say, hey, we are real interested in being a part of this. We will work with you with the funding um, to help you get to the cohort, to be a part of the cohort, work with other churches, come back to top and change the culture here at top because 10 years from now, you want to make sure the same young people that are here today are still here. Even if they go off to school, they want to come back to top because at top, they feel, they, they feel that you're, you want to be a part of their life, that you are sharing leadership with them. At top, you are showing, you are preaching Jesus and living Jesus. At top, you are providing an opportunity for them to be good neighbors. At top you are a you're fueling the fact that it's a warm church i could reach out to anyone in this church and feel that i i'm i'm part of their family those who have children those who don't have children at top is the place i want to get to every sabbath because when i get here i feel i'm part of something i want to be a part of this and the only way you can do that is you got to work at it it doesn't come automatic and if you're willing to do that i'm willing to help you do that you have my number, you have my, my, uh, my email. If you have any questions tonight, if the Lord gives you a vision, you can call me tomorrow, you can email me, text me, the, the Lord gave me this. How can I make this happen? Or you call your pastor, call your elder, lay it out to them. Say, hey, I heard what Pastor Wade said. I want to see this happen in our church. What can I do? Hey, let's get the book. Let's read it. Let's, let's get something going. Do not leave here today just simply saying it's already done. Get busy. Get busy and make it happen. And I look forward to seeing you in the kingdom. Amen. Let's give Pastor Wade a big amen. He's put a lot on the plate. Amen. The main thing he said, it can't happen overnight. But what can happen overnight is our commitment to doing this. Amen. And the commitment starts on our knees with God. Amen. To rekindle that fire. That, that passion for our young people. How will they know we're Christians? By our love. You can't manufacture it. It can't be fake. But it has to be genuinely love for others. Amen. So we want you to stay. If you have any more questions, I know you can go all night if the pastor wants to stay and field some more questions. But we want to just thank him. And you can tell he has a genuine passion for ministry. Amen. And we just thank him for... Just use, letting the Lord use him in a mighty way. Let's bow our heads. Father God, truly the Holy Spirit has been uh, uh, evident, Lord, today, Lord. And I worship, Lord. We truly have felt your spirit, Lord. We're thankful for Elder Wade's ministry, Lord. Continue to bless him, Lord, as he travels throughout this country, Lord Jesus. And we pray that you'll continue to anoint him, Lord. Bless top, Lord, as we have heard this word, Lord Jesus, that we won't be just hearers, but we will be doers of your holy word, Lord. Bless our young people, Lord. Bless our health. Bless this nation, Lord. Now bless us as we dismiss from this place, but never from your presence. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just be a committee of one and pick up the little bottles and trash beside you. That's right. If you brought it in. Take it home.